0: Hey everybody, this is Brent Kellogg, the pastor of Hillspring Church in Sand Springs, Oklahoma. and This is our podcast. Thanks for taking time to join us today. Our prayer is that this would inspire you, build your faith, and help you take the next step in Christ. Enjoy the message. We are walking through the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 3 is where we're going to land. I want to reference quickly just the passage that Pastor Matt talked about moments ago, Luke chapter 19. All four of the gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all tell the story of what we in church world call the triumphal entry, where Jesus rides on a donkey's colt into Jerusalem, and it it triggers what we call Holy Week. And so next weekend is Easter, and this would actually be Palm Sunday. And the story in Scripture is where, you know, kind of people line the road, and they laid down their coats for Jesus and the donkey to travel on, and then they took palm branches, and they said, Hosanna, 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 as Jesus traveled through and and on his way in. And, and Luke tells the story. He's the only gospel that mentions it, that. that as Jesus kind of crests the Mount of Olives and he can see all over all of Jerusalem. It's a beautiful place. I've, I've never been there, but I've seen pictures where you can just see the whole entirety of the city. And in that moment, Jesus wept. And he just kind of was broken for the pain and the hurt and the lostness that was there in Jerusalem. And pray God that we have those same moments, that we just feel brokenness for what's around us for our community, for our neighbors, and so on and so forth. And so this is Palm Sunday. When I was a kid in Antlers, Oklahoma, we didn't have palm branches, but somebody had gone out in the pasture and they had cut cedar branches. And so all of us kids were up front during the middle of one of the song raising cedar branches, and then we all went and sat down, and then you began to notice kind of scurry in the crowd. Well, the cedar branches had ticks on them. You know what I'm saying? That is like the most Antlers Easter thing that could ever happen. And so like literally all of us kids were crawling with ticks, and so... You haven't experienced Easter until you've done it in Antlers, Oklahoma. So Philippians chapter three is where we're at in this holy week. I just really hope you'll just take some time to just, I mean, we celebrate Easter every Sunday. You know, God said take a Sabbath. Typically the Sabbath is Saturday. It's the last day of the week. But the reason why we as Christians have church on Sunday is because every Sunday we're celebrating Jesus was resurrected on that third day. But there's just something about the holiday of of Easter and this this Holy Week, I hope you'll do something to kind of just prepare yourself, just as we celebrate this Christian holiday of Easter. I'm, I'm gonna fast some this week. I invite you to, at some level, some way, some form, maybe fast Monday through Friday, and maybe that's just like, okay, I'm gonna give up maybe sweets for a week, maybe I'm gonna give up pop for a week, or maybe do some type of Daniel fast where you just eat fruits and vegetables and like no meats and and no sweets or. I mean, the world knows we could all do our soul some good if we like gave up social media for a week. And so something, I want you to just push away from something this week with the intent of bringing spiritual clarity, to bring spiritual preparedness for what God wants to do in the next Friday night. If you've never been to uh, our Good Friday service, it's at seven o'clock. If you ask Hillspringers, like, hey, what's your favorite service of the year? This one is typically one of the top two and it's just a powerful night and just, we kind of come and it's just kind of a, um, worshipful, I want to say somber because there's just this recognition that that's the day Jesus bled for us. That's the day that he shed his blood on the cross. And so uh, join us for our Good Friday service. And then next Sunday should be fun. We've got some, I know, I know some of y'all, the only time mama can get you dressed up is on Easter Sunday. We know that. And we want to capture proof of that. So we're going to have a couple of uh, photo areas set up where you can take that family picture and Easter Bunny will be set up in one of them. And uh, so anyway, Philippians chapter three, is where we're at. And I keep going over and over and over in my mind, just remember this book of Philippians was Paul writing a letter to the Christians in the southern Greek city of Philippi about how you can have a life of joy. And I I don't, I mean, I think for the most part, everybody wants to be happy. And the point of this book is how you can have a Christ-centered, spirit-empowered life of joy. And today's conversation is really gonna be paramount as to how do you keep things from robbing your joy. And it's kind of interesting how you can take just the story of Paul or the letter that he writes, but you can also lay some really practical advice out of the things that he's saying. And today, I I think we're gonna be able to extract that out of the story. It was May of 1988. I was a seventh grader and it was the last day of school and my longtime girlfriend of almost two weeks broke up with me as Jesus wept over Jerusalem, I also wept over my life and my broken heart, right? I can't say that all of us have had that first breakup, you know, but it's painful, you probably remember it, like you remember to that person you made those promises, well, I'll still love you forever and nothing can change that, right? Only now we kinda have to stop and scratch our head and go, what was her name? was that her? Or was that the other one? You know? And so in that moment back in May of 1988, it was life-changing for me. It was the most important thing in my life in that day. If you have kids, you remember when the first one came along. And I know Jerry and I we had all these rules about baby landing. You know what I'm saying? And so he he ate on a schedule. He took a nap on a schedule. He pooped on a schedule, right? Like we had rules about who could hold him and who couldn't and make sure you wash your hands, please. By the time the second baby came along, like you, you realized that structure was really successful the first time. So by the time the second baby came along, we, we were gonna do the same thing. And it lasted about three and a half weeks, right? You know what I'm saying? Like, oh, you're a stranger Fine, you haven't washed your hands in three days. Here, mama just needs a break. You know, take the baby, right? There's a reason why the oldest child is always the rule follower. It's because mom and dad were following rules when they were a baby, but that's a whole different sermon, right? Like what used to be really, really, really important as we've aged, as we've gone through life, as we've gone through some stuff, hopefully as we've matured, right? Emotions start to clear away. Perspective comes. And the things that used to matter just don't matter like they used to. I'm gonna say that a lot today. The things that used to matter just don't matter like they used to. Philippians chapter three is where I'm reading. If you don't have your Bible, then we'll put it up on the screen for you. It says, whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. Last week, we were in chapter two where he was talking about Timothy, a young man that he had discipled. And Paul said, I'm gonna send Timothy to you he said, because I'm waiting to find out what's gonna happen to me here. Paul's in prison. He's in house arrest, so it wasn't real strenuous prison, but, but he, he, was, he was in prison, so he, he couldn't go see them. He couldn't go check on them. And then he actually later goes on in chapter two to say, I hope that I get to see you again soon. Now in Philippians chapter three, kind of a new passage, he says, whatever happens. Like if they set me free, I'll rejoice in the Lord. If I die in prison... I'll rejoice in the Lord. If I stay in chains, whatever happens, I'm gonna rejoice in the Lord. Setting the stage to say this, and it's important for the context of this book about having a life of joy, joy is not circumstantial. I don't have to have stuff to have joy. I don't have to get my way to have joy. I can be in chains, I can be in prison, and I can still have So whatever happens, rejoice in the Lord. He said, I never get tired of telling you these things. And I do it really to kind of safeguard your faith, just remind you, because things happen. Life happens, bumps in the road happen, bad things happen, we go through trouble. And, And just remember, like you can still have joy in that. And I do that so that when you hit those hard times, you don't question your faith. And like, God, where are you? Paul's writing this from prison and he's saying, hey, I'm rejoicing in the Lord. Verse two, watch out for those dogs those people who do evil, those mutilators who say that you must be circumcised to be saved. There was a group of Christians that said in order to become a Christian, you had to become a Jew first. And, and really the physical sign of conversion and so on and so forth was this idea of circumcision. To become a Jew, which would be the front door of Christianity, the only way to do that was with a pocket knife. Don't Google it, it's not, it's not, don't do that, right? Right? So Paul would say this over and over and over again. You are saved not by what you do, but what Jesus did on the cross. Verse three, for we who worship by the spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. We rely on what Christ Jesus has done. So it's not about what you do. It's not about what you cut off. It's not about, you know, it's not about the things I do. It's about what Jesus did on the cross. So we put no confidence in our human effort. He says this, it's an internal circumcision. It's a spiritual thing. It's an internal change that takes place. And I'm cutting away that old sinful man and stepping into a new life through Christ. Verse four, though I could have confidence in my own efforts, if anyone could. Indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I can do Anything you can do, I can do better. I mean, that's kind of what Paul's doing in this passage. He's like, I have even more, verse five. Well, I was circumcised on the eighth day. Cool, Paul, not something I would brag about these days, but all right, right? So I am a pure-blood citizen of Israel as a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I'm a member of the Pharisees who demanded the strictest obedience to Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church And as for righteousness, I I obeyed the law without fault. Verse seven, I once thought there were things that were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Jesus has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ. There's a lot there. That's powerful too. Like, as I mean, you guys are amen in that. This group of people that were saying to be saved, you first had to become a Jew, Paul was like, hey, I've been there, I've done that. I've been down that road. I was a Jew of Jews. I was circumcised on the eighth day, which by the way, that's what the law required. He said, I was a pure Jew of the tribe of Benjamin. And I believe what he's saying is like, my family didn't even intermarry with other tribes. We are pure tribe Benjamin. As a young man, Paul became a Pharisee. That, my friends, is an elite group. That was an accomplishment to wear the badge of being a Pharisee. And of the Pharisees, they were the most strict about following the Jewish law and the Jewish customs. Paul says, I zealously, I passionately, and gladly persecuted the church. But something changed in me. Something happened in me. It was something that circumcision couldn't do. Like the day I got inducted into the Pharisees as a young man, which was a huge accomplishment, man, that was a big day. There were people cheering me on, but the day something changed was even bigger. The day I was appointed and handed the letter to go persecute and arrest Christians, man, that was a big day. But this day was bigger. I did all they say you have to do, and it was empty, and I was empty was only until I met Jesus. It was only until that moment on the road to Damascus where Jesus stopped him, that's when everything changed. All of that used to be important, but he'd say to the church of Philippi, take some notes from the older guy who's in prison, who's been there, done that. I did all the Jewish stuff. I, I did all the stuff that used to matter, but now it don't matter like it used to. There's a couple of things in this passage that, that Paul points out that really used to be important to him, that really used to matter. But as he went through some stuff, as Jesus got a hold of his life, they just don't matter like they used to. The first one is purpose over passion. Like passion used to really matter. Now, knowing why God's put me here, knowing my purpose in this life, he said in verse six, I so zealous, I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. Paul was a he was a passionate man. Whatever he did, he threw himself into it. But he would quickly tell you that his passion was misguided. If you take a note, you wanna write this down on the side. I don't have a slide for it. It's just kind of an extra note. Proverbs 19, two says that zeal or passion is no good without knowledge. Unless you have some wisdom to go with that, that passion is just, it gonna wear you out. Zeal, passion without wisdom is no good. Paul would tell us it's far more important to know your God-given, God-ordained purpose. Why did God put me here? Know your contribution to your generation. Know your contribution to the gospel and to the kingdom. Matter of fact, today, growth track step two, it's after our second service. So about 1220, that'll get started. That's what we talk about, how God wired you, how God created you. I see the church as this big jigsaw puzzle And every person is a piece of that puzzle. And we're only a complete picture when you're complete in knowing your purpose and what God has created you to do. Paul was passionate, but it all came up empty until he found his purpose. Paul specifically, his purpose, even though he was a Jew of Jews, his purpose was to take the name of Jesus to people who were not Jews, to the European continent, to people who really didn't have a Jewish background. So what really matters His purpose over passion. Second, would be love over law. That really was kind of the overriding message of Jesus when he came because he stepped into a highly religious, highly obedient to the Jewish customs culture when Jesus stepped on the scene 2,000 years ago. Kind of the point of all things Jesus taught. There were 613 Hebrews laws and customs and a good Jewish person would obey them, right? Right? So Jesus took those 613 laws and he simplified them into two commands in one word. I gotta be honest with you, sometimes with the 10 commandments, I gotta think hard, I gotta count them out and sometimes I gotta think, well, what's the other one? You know what I'm saying? Imagine trying to keep 613 laws. Jesus said, hey, let me simplify all that. Two commands and really boil it down to one word, love. Here's his commands, plain simple, love God. Love people. Like love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, body, strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love God, love people. If I love God, I won't have another God. If I love God, I won't serve other gods. I won't use his name in vain. I won't use his name as profanity. If I love God, I'll gladly take a day to worship and rest and say, God, this day is to be with you. If I love people, I won't lie to people. I won't cheat them, I won't steal, I won't covet. It means I won't desire what they have. But I'll be happy for them and their success. Paul said, I kept the law without fault. And I was still empty. That didn't work. Let me tell you what did work, verse nine. And he said, and I became one with him. I no longer count my own righteousness. I'm gonna define righteousness for you here in just a second. I no longer count my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I became righteous through faith in Christ for God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. So righteousness has two definitions and they're both used right here in verse nine. Okay, In scripture, the word righteousness can be used one of two ways. One's predominantly in the Old Testament, one's predominantly in the New Testament. So when you see the word righteous it means one of two things. It means right standing. Like I'm in right standing with God. Paul said that. I became righteous. I became in right standing through faith in Christ. All right? Because of the sacrifice, Jesus shed his blood on the cross. When God looks at me, he doesn't see my sin. He doesn't see my mistakes. Everybody ought to say amen to that. He sees me through the cross. He sees me through, through the blood of Jesus. And if I place my faith in Jesus, if I'm a Christian because of the sacrifice of blood that Jesus shed, I am now in right standing. I'm righteous. I'm in right standing through Christ. But righteousness also has another meaning. It's called right living. I have right standing and I have right living. You see both examples right there in that verse. Paul says, I no longer count on my own righteousness, my own ability to live right. There's an example in the Old Testament, Psalm 11:5. five. The Lord examines both the righteous and sooner fans. It's right there. No, I'm just kidding, that's not there. Like the Lord examines both the righteous and the wicked. So there's this clear contrast of people who live rightly and then people who are wicked. Paul said, as for keeping the law, As for living right, I obeyed the law without fault. I lived rightly. I used to value keeping the law. But Jesus gave himself as a sacrifice for me, and so now I'm righteous. I'm in right standing. Jesus said, love God, love your neighbor. Paul's like, I I value, like if I'll just love, if I'll fall more in love with Jesus, and the love that Jesus showed on the cross, That is greater than trying to keep 613 laws. I think the dots connected for Paul with what Jesus was trying to say. Love God, love people. So value love over law. Number three, value believing over belonging. Believing over belonging. Paul was a part of some cool circles. Paul was a a big deal. Paul was on a mission to earn favor with the higher-ups and the Pharisees and the Jewish culture. He earned the reputation of being the up-and-comer. He was a young man, and he was running in, in the big circles, if you will. Paul was a Pharisee. He belonged to the right crowd. Paul got to sit at the cool kid table. Paul used to care about impressing people. Paul used to care about pleasing people. But for Jesus, for the sake of the gospel... That just didn't matter anymore. Jesus came in and changed his life and and he he walked away from all of those people he was trying to impress and all those people he was trying to earn favor with. Galatians 1.10 says, obviously, I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If pleasing people were my goal, I'd go crazy. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. Let's be real. Sometimes some of us look at circles. It feels like the cool kid table. And we'd like to be in those circles. And we, we want to be friends with people in that group. We want our kids to be a part of that kid's thing. And you're chasing something that could cost you. You're, what you're chasing could cost you your identity. It could cost you the true, genuine, authentic version of who God created you to be because you're trying to please people that just don't matter. And Paul said, like, I'm more interested in pleasing God than I am in pleasing people. They all the time, run your race. God has made you with a purpose and a destiny and a dream, run your race. Stop trying to keep up with the Joneses. Live to please God, not to please men. Paul learned It doesn't matter what others think of me. What matters most is what God thinks of me. And if some of you are looking at the handout that was in our worship guide this morning, you're like, "Uh uh-oh, Brent's broken, right? Because normally there's always three points and they all begin with the same letter, but I'm gonna expand my horizon. So if you have a reservation for lunch at 11.15, you're gonna need to cancel that. No, I'm just kidding. No, we'll go quickly. Um, Those first three points were clearly found in what Paul was saying. What used to matter doesn't matter Like it used to. But while I got you here, and while we're on that thread, and while we're kind of talking about priorities for our life, let me just show you some other ones that I I believe are found in Scripture while we're on this topic, if you would. Like, what matters most is stability over success. Don't believe me, just read the whole book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes was written by King Solomon. And when King Solomon took over for his dad, David, the Lord appeared to him in a vision and said, Solomon, you ask for anything you want. And he said, give me wisdom to lead your people. And God said, because you've asked for that, I'm going to give it to you, but I'm also going to give you power, money, wealth, influence, and all this stuff. Solomon took Israel to its greatest heights. It was in a land of peace. The army was great. The palace was great. Solomon built all these fantastic things. The land was just at peace. Solomon had everything he wanted. He chased everything he wanted. The book of Ecclesiastes was written at the end of all of that, and he's looking back on all of his wealth, all of success and everything he had, and he says, it was futile. I had everything I wanted, and it still left me empty. The older I get, the more I appreciate the book of Ecclesiastes. The desire for success will cause you to leave behind those and the things that matter most. It will cause us to use relationships as a stepping stone to get to our next level. It will cause you to leave your family behind while you chase your dreams. And you can easily make that excuse, well, I'm just doing it for us. I'm I'm doing it so we can make more money, so we can do the things we wanna do. All the while, we're never taking the time to do the things we wanna do. And you blink twice and your kids are grown and your marriage has turned cold. And now there's someone younger with more energy, newer ideas, and they're ready to use you as their stepping stone to their next level of success. And you blink and you're like, what what just happened? Listen, I'm I'm not saying be lazy. I'm not saying don't give life your best. I'm saying give it your balance. Wisdom is... Is walking in balance. We've seen people give their entire life to a company, to a firm. I just see this scene. I don't remember what it's from, but but there's a an owner of a company or a boss that's walking through, and there's all these cubicles and all these desks. And the owner just in this big room hustle bustle. He stops and says, "Hey, everybody, stop for just a second. Hey, Dave's worked for the company for 25 years, and today's Dave's last day. You guys all give him a, a round of applause." At the end of that, Dave would load his contents of his desk into a box with a thanks, Dave, and a hand clap. I don't know who needs to hear this, but what you think matters today, 5, 10, 15, years from now, won't matter at all. But the stability of your family and your marriage, that may be all you have left. What matters most is stability over success. Number five is contribution over credit. I want to say the older I get, the less I care, but it can still crop up on me. It can still, well, what about, do they know that? eh, it doesn't matter. Galatians 6, 9 says, let's not get tired of doing what's good. At the right time, you'll reap your harvest of blessing if you don't give up. Like there's no distinction between doing the right thing in public or private. It just says do the right thing and then trust God with the reward. He knows. Jesus said it this way, Matthew chapter six. Watch out. (laughs) Don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others for you will lose the reward from your father in heaven. When you give to someone in need, don't do as the hypocrites do. That's strong wordage. Blowing the trumpets in the synagogues and the streets to call attention to their acts of charity. I tell you the truth. They've received all the reward they will ever get. But when you give to someone in need, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Give your gifts in private and your father who sees everything, he will reward you. The work, the sacrifice, the time you put in today, nobody's gonna remember it tomorrow anyway. So be more concerned about making a difference than making a name for yourself. Crowd is fickle, my friends. One day they're waving palm branches and singing Hosanna. The next they're waving fists and yelling crucify, crucify, crucify. Worry more about contribution than credit. What matters most, number six, is moments over money. And this can feel pretty similar to stability over success, right? Right? But the love of stuff, the love of money is costly. The idea, one day I'll have enough, is one of the biggest lies. Because enough is never enough. And listen, I'm not saying live reckless. I'm not saying today, you heard him. Let's go buy a new car, YOLO. You know, that's not not, new boat. that's, that's, That's not, I'm saying there's wise principles to live by, but don't let money own you. Don't let the pursuit of money own you. We are a generation that's spending hundreds of dollars on gifts for our kids. And after Christmas present time opening is all done, over there playing in the boxes. And they're saying, look at me, mommy. Watch me, daddy. Money can't buy you joy. Money can't buy you happiness. And according to the Beatles, it can't buy you love. In Paul's life, through his prison stays, through his beatings, being shipwrecked, through his of hunger, those trials, those bad days, brought some clarity to what really matters in life. And in a couple of weeks, we'll actually get here, but I wanna borrow from Philippians chapter four, just the next chapter over, Philippians 4.11. He says, not that I was ever in need, because he talks right there in the verses surrounding that, like, I've been hungry, I've been in need, I've been shipwrecked. He says this, for I've learned the secret of life. I've learned how to be content with whatever I have. Whether I got a big old stuffed crust supreme pizza in front of me, whether I'm eating fingernails for dinner. I've learned to be content with wherever God has me. Don't miss this moment. Don't miss the moment. Don't don't miss the moment worrying about what it's gonna cost. Don't miss the moment just focusing on the money. Don't miss the moment trying to earn the money. The worldly pursuit of money is robbing us of our moments and our joy. And if you don't believe me, just go to Walmart this afternoon and watch somebody buy something that don't ring upright. It's like 32 cents more than what it's supposed to be and somebody gonna lose their joy. Go to a restaurant this afternoon after church, watch a server on their third day on the job and they make a mistake on someone's ticket and you'll see some joy robbing really, really, really fast because money holds us captive. Not a good time to be nudging elbows right now. Just look at me, be pointing people out. When I have more, I'll start giving. In 22 years of ministry, I have never seen that promise Moments over money. Last one, number seven. What matters most is relationships over right. Relationships over, you might wanna add the word being right. Heard it one time at a marriage conference. <laughs> you can be right or you can be happy. You can't be both. That used to be me. Man, I, I could argue. If you stood there long enough, I would argue with you I guess, apparently, I wasn't very good at arguing because in 47 years, I have never argued someone to my viewpoint. I'd argue politics. I would argue religion. I would argue theology. I would argue sports. My dad used to say, son, you would argue with a fence post. I'd say, which one? I'll straighten him out. Some of us in our pursuit of always being right, Someday you're going to wake up and find yourself alone. Always needing to be right, it's costing us relationships. Just look at our world around us. You can be right, you can be happy, you can't be both. Another little free nugget of wisdom, Proverbs 26.4, don't answer the foolish arguments of fools or you'll become as foolish as they are. Don't argue with a fool. Here we go. Everybody say, I love BK. I know y'all getting tired of saying that, but in 2004, Facebook was founded. In 18 years, I have never once read a story, seen a news story of someone who changed their political views because of an argument on Facebook. You can, you go. Believe absolutely what you want to believe. I mean, you have the right to be wrong. (laughs) One of my favorite lines. You can be right, you can be happy, you can't be both. Listen, I'm not saying don't don't stand for the truth. I'm not saying roll over and and just be a pushover. There are times and places to stand. I'm saying don't argue with a fool because then you'll look foolish. And some of our win at all cost behavior is doing irreparable damage in our culture. And sadly, it's my own fault. There are people no longer in my life because of my youthful arrogance and my need to be right. And it damaged relationships. It just don't matter like you used to. And then as we age and emotions get out of the way and clarity comes, (laughs) I'll be. Sometimes we change our position. Things we used to argue about, we don't see it that way anymore. Sometimes we begin to see things differently, like Paul, who adamantly persecuted Christians, adamantly pursued, arrested, and chased Christians. And then one day his, his position changed Something he was so sure of. And life happened. He matured and grew up a little bit. Jesus happened, changed him. Now he's on the other side. The church he was trying to break down, now he's trying to build up. The church he was trying to exterminate, now he's trying to establish. The things that used to matter don't matter like they used to. Success just don't matter as much when you retire. Eventually, everybody gets tired of hearing about the good old day stories anyway. Money. All of a sudden, it just don't matter when the doctor walks in the room and says, you have cancer. Belonging to the right social group. All of a sudden, it it just don't matter when the doctor says there's something severely wrong with your child. And maybe, maybe that's the role of trials and struggles and hard times in our life. Maybe that's their part, even as hard as they are. Maybe they speed up the process of clarity. Maybe they help bring clarity to our life. Maybe they help us to see who and what really is important. Like you're gonna be fighting with your spouse yesterday, but if you go through a crisis today, you're fighting for your spouse. Some of you, I love you. You love me. We've exchanged those feelings this morning, right? Some of us, used to be in relationships, friendships with people. And then something happened. And I bet if I ask you, what was the something you can't even tell me? But now all there is is just this void accompanied by resentment that didn't even the issue. It's really you just, you miss them and they're mad that you don't have them in your life anymore. We just can't find the humility to face it. All saying for years, I had it all wrong. O B K. For years, I had a lot wrong. The things I thought were important are now garbage, repulsive. Think about that today. You're striving and stressing. Today, you're working on tomorrow's trash. Verse eight, everything else is worthless when compared to the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. What really matters is do you know Jesus? What really matters is Jesus' center point of your life. I hope you enjoyed the podcast today. If you did, there's a couple of things I want to invite you to do. First, hit the subscribe button. That way you won't miss a single episode. Secondly, if this message has impacted you and you would like to help us reach others, visit our website at hillspring.tv and hit the give now button so that we can take this message around the globe. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.